episode this week is going to be a little different. It's going to be shorter as it is an unsolved case that doesn't have a ton of information, but I still feel it is important to highlight. And it is just me this week as I wasn't able to find anyone to record with me in time. But I am working on a nice big long Halloween episode for you guys, so stay tuned for that as well. So let's get right into the story. This week we're going to talk about the Jack family, a young family of four that went missing in Prince George, B.C. in 1989. This young family consisted of Doreen Ann, 26, Ronald Ronnie, also 26, Russell, who was 9, and Ryan, 4. At the time of their disappearance, Ronnie had been out of work due to a back injury, and the family had had been depending on welfare to make ends meet. On Tuesday, August 1st, 1989, Ronnie met an unidentified man at the First Leader Pub in Prince George, who offered jobs for both him and Doreen at a ranch or logging camp near Klukult's Lake, which was 40 kilometers west. Ronnie was offered a job bucking logs and Doreen as a cook's helper in the camp kitchen. The man told Ronnie that the camp had a daycare for their two young sons so the boys could come along and be taken care of. He even offered to drive them that night since they did not have a car. Ronnie, of course, hurried home to tell Doreen. At 11.16 p.m., Ronnie called his brother to tell him about the job. A few hours later, at approximately 1.15 a.m. on Wednesday, August 2nd, Ronnie called his parents, who lived in Burns Lake, B.C., to tell them about the job as well. He told them that they would be there for 10 to 14 days and would be back in time for school to start for Russell. This phone call was the last time that the family was heard from. At 1.21 a.m., the family were seen leaving their home on Strathcona Avenue, and getting into the man's four-wheel drive, dark-colored pickup truck. Now, I don't know who it was that saw this. I wasn't able to find that in my source material, only that they were seen leaving at that time and in that description of the vehicle. A couple weeks later, on August 25th, the family was officially reported missing by Ronnie's mother, Mabel. There were little to no leads in the family's disappearance until nearly seven years later on January 28, 1996, when a man called the Vanderhoof police and said, quote, The Jack family are buried in the south end of ranch, end quote. Now I pause there um, to emphasize that there is a blank there. They don't know what word he said before ranch. And the caller hung up after 10 seconds, so this was before the dispatcher could even ask any questions, like ask for clarification on what he had said. Several appeals were made to the public and published in local newspapers asking for the caller to call again. The police threatened to release the recording if the caller did not call again. However, as far as I know, the caller did not. In March of 1996, the recording of the call was analyzed by the University of British Columbia. However, as far as we know, nothing was released to the public about any leads that came from this analysis. Now, there are three theories as to what may have happened to the Jack family. First uh, was from the beginning of the investigation when the police believed the family was involved in a car accident with a vehicle hidden in dense bush off the road. 
However, after a thorough search of the route they would have taken, this theory was ruled out. They also believed if this were the case, the driver's employer and or family would have reported him missing as well, and there were no men reported missing at the time that fit the timeline and the description. The second theory was that the job offer was real, but the job itself was illegal and what Ronnie had been told was not correct. This theory involves the family being killed to keep them quiet once something went wrong, such as Ronnie and Doreen finding out that they were employed to do something illegal. The third theory, and perhaps the darkest and most tragic, was that the kids were the real target of this man and that he was a sex trafficker. This would mean that the parents were likely quietly and quickly subdued and killed after getting them into the vehicle and or getting to their destination, and the children were taken by traffickers, whether the man himself was one or he just worked for them. Now, the description of this man it came from two witness statements in 1989 and 1990, and they were also able to make two composite sketches based on that, which I will be posting. He's described as Caucasian, six foot to six six, or 183 to 198 centimeters tall, with reddish brown hair, a short full beard and mustache, aged 35 to 40 in 1989, and weighing 200 to 270 pounds, or 91 to 125 kilograms at the time. He was also described as having his hair parted to one side, and the length reached the bottom of his ears. That evening, he was seen wearing a red checkered shirt, baseball cap, work boots with leather fringes over the toes, faded blue jeans, and a waist-length nylon jacket. However, unfortunately, over time, witness accounts change and are unreliable, so nowadays it would be hard to lock down a timeline based on witness accounts and based on his description alone, and it would also be difficult to revisit these accounts that were previously made. During the RCMP investigation into the family's disappearance, a $2,000 reward was offered for information. Police were able to track the call to a home in Vanderhoof, where a party took place during the time that the call was placed. Doreen's sister, Marlene Jack, who was 23 at the time of her sister's disappearance, searched for the family partially in Vancouver. She said that the RCMP told her at the beginning that if she went to the media, they would not communicate with her, which led her to remain silent for a long time. Over the years, though, Marlene did take her story to the media, hassled police for information, and even started a Facebook group called Missing Jack Family out of Prince George, which currently has 3.6 thousand followers as of a couple days ago when I did this research and checked it myself. Marlene testified during the hearings at the National Inquiry into Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls in Smithers, B.C. in September 2017, and she spoke about her family. She was praised for her bravery by the commissioner. However, at the time, she was afraid to speak and risk the police cutting contact with her, which as far as I know, they didn't 
cut her off, which is good to hear. It's very unfortunate that they use that kind of threat, which I personally do not believe should be allowed, unless, of course, the family's doing something major to disrupt the investigation. But if she simply wants to go to the media and say, you guys, we need your help, my family's missing, I don't know what to do, please, if you know anything, let us know, then there should be no reason that a family member is not able to do that as long as they don't release confidential information. Anyways, in 2018, the RCMP revealed they were seeking an anonymous tipster who they believed had valuable information. They said this tipster had provided information via phone and mail to a third party who later passed it on to the police. They have not revealed when it, this happened or what it was, so we don't know if it happened back in 1989 or closer to 2018 when they said this or somewhere in between. We also don't know if this is somehow linked to the phone call, like their, uh, their pleas to the caller to contact them again may have worked, and he sent a letter or something of that sort. We just don't know. And that is typical for a lot of open Canadian investigations. You just don't get as much information off the bat as you do in the States because of our privacy laws. In 2019, ground-penetrating radar was used to search a property, and apologies if I get this wrong, as I probably will, on the Sek-Uz First Nation Reserve south of Vanderhoof. This unfortunately yielded no clues whatsoever. Since the beginning of the investigation, the RCMP have obtained thousands of documents, searched several properties, and conducted hundreds of interviews. Donnie's mom, Maybell, has also been part of the search for the family within Prince George. Corporal Craig Douglas, with the, poli with the Prince George RCMP, said, quote, We do believe that there are persons out there who have information and just haven't come forward or, for whatever reason, are reluctant to. So we would like them to take that step and contact us so that we can resolve this and solve this three-decade mystery. In 2020, some age-progressed photos of the family were released through the Facebook page Unidentified Human Remains Canada. These age-progressed photos were done by a forensic artist with the Miami-Dade Police Department, and I will be posting these photos as well. At this current time in 2022, the family has been missing for 33 years. And guys, I know this audience is fairly young, but if you have any family members or family friends who happen to be living in the Prince George area of British Columbia back in 1989, it can't hurt to bring this case up to them in case they happen to see something. You never know. Maybe your uncle was at that pub last night and happened to, happens to know the guy's first name. It's better than no name. And if you or anyone you know have any information about the disappearance of Ronald Doreen, Russell, and Ryan Jack, please contact the Prince George RCMP at 250-561-3300. Or, if you would like to remain anonymous, you can contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. And lastly, my sources for this episode were a Canada Unsolved article by S.M., from June 5th, 2020, an episode article from October 7th, 2022 of Cold Case Canada podcast by Lee 
sorry, by E. Lazarus. An August 3rd, 2018 CBC News article by Michelle Gusold. And a September 27th, 2017 CBC article by Andrew Giorgiotta. I do have one more thing to mention. I do have an update on a case I covered last summer, July 2021. My story about from Oshawa, Ontario, the murder of Rory Hash and Candace Fitzpatrick. Now, I believe I have shared posts about this, but I'm not too sure if I've mentioned it on the podcast. But anyways, the killer, Adam Strong, actually finally led police to the remains of Candace Fitzpatrick In November of 2021, they were able to recover some human remains that were later identified as belonging to Candace Fitzpatrick. This came 14 years after Candace was murdered by Adam Strong back in 2008. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Disturbed Minds. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen, and don't forget to follow the show on Instagram, for show details, pictures, and more at Disturbed Minds Pod.